Welcome to Conversations with Quiet Leaders. My name is Juliet Morris. I believe there is greatness in leading and building teams through powerful listening, what's being said and what's being heard. In this podcast, you'll hear from quiet leaders who are being more bold, more brave and more comfortable with who they are. Today, I'd like to welcome Shazia Nirali. Shazia is a senior HR professional based in Canada who is on a personal mission to change the HR industry, challenging the norms around how great cultures should be built and infused to make high-performing, engaging and authentically diverse workplaces. She's also a proud introvert, a writer, a speaker, a blogger and podcast host of The Colour Gap. Welcome, Shazia. Lovely to speak with you again. Thank you, Julia. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. So I love your um, strapline and your profile about challenging the norms with great cultures. You haven't always been a HR professional. So I'm curious as to why you entered into that profession and leading then on to this challenging the norms that you wish to do. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a really good question. I don't even know exactly what the catalyst was to to start me down the path, but I did desire to have this um, interest in doing workplace learning and corporate training and teaching in the workplace environment. I had worked for a local cable company out here in, in Canada a number of years ago and was more on the administrative side of the training um, department. And that's what really set the stage for me, I guess, in terms of really getting some exposure around uh, what HR could possibly do, the kind of impact it could have, the ability to really empower people through learning and development uh, in their workplaces. But being a very natural introvert at the time, not really embracing that side of who I was or seeing the power and strength in it, I always thought I would be the person that would be behind the scenes. So writing the corporate training and developing uh, classroom training, but never the person that would actually get up in front of a classroom and deliver it. It was totally outside of my comfort zone and not something I even ever really fathomed. And I decided to go back to school uh, at the age of 30. I picked up my life and moved out to Vancouver, British Columbia and um, started grad school out there. And it was really focused around uh, education and trying to marry my business background with education so I could one day hopefully do that. And I actually found myself uh, ending up in a role in recruitment, which was so unexpected and totally outside my comfort zone to the point of where I would create scripts just to be able to pick up the phone and talk to strangers. I would really listen to everybody around me to kind of pick up on the things that they were saying and how they were engaging. And the recruitment function in of itself, it's so fascinating because a lot of times it's designed in such a way that it's really focused around efficiency and getting people into roles and filling pipelines and doing things really quickly. And I started to realize that there was kind of this lack of humanization of that experience and how did we start to bring some more empathy into the process because looking for a job can sometimes be a very dehumanizing experience for people because you feel like a cog in the wheel or a number and you're not really being seen as a whole person and so I progressed in my career in the recruitment side of things for a number of years and got the opportunity to do some really interesting work uh, on the program management side when it came to different parts of the life cycle of HR. So everything from recruitment to onboarding, to talent attraction, pre-boarding, and then a little bit into the diversity and inclusion space. And I realized that if you don't have those human elements into your experience, you're not designing 
processes with the end user in mind, then you take out the human from the human resources element, right? And I found that so many environments that I've been a part of, either they've been on the extreme of efficiency or the desire to try to bring more of the humanity into the experience, but not necessarily giving the resources to help you do that. So I had to get really scrappy and resourceful throughout my career. But I think there's so much more opportunity for HR departments and organizations to recognize that you need to bring the human into the workplace. And how do you do that in a way that still balances out that sense of efficiency and um, return on investment? And I think there's so many ways to do that. And that's kind of where my mission comes from. So I so agree with you, I think, particularly over the last year. Tell us a little bit more about your approach and how you felt before and after, because you are speak a lot now, you blog a lot, you host a podcast. So how does that lend itself with that introversion side? Mm -hmm. I think it it works really well in the sense that when I'm talking, usually when I'm asked to do any sort of speaking or engagements of any sort, and when I'm doing the podcast, it's all very passion driven. I'm a very heart-centered person, and when I get to talk about something that I'm really excited about that um, has kind of meaning and purpose and that's connected in some way to the bigger picture of what I'm trying to do, I see that as such an opportunity, and I don't sort of shy away from that anymore because I recognize how much power there is in people also hearing uh, about your experiences and who you are as a whole person, and I can bring that to those conversations. And the contrast from when I first started out is just night and day, because when I first even had any opportunity to do any sort of public speaking, it was like two weeks of pure anxiety, pit in the stomach, no ability to even imagine or visualize that that was even possible. Uh, and I just started putting myself in the line of fire, essentially, and just out of, my, out of my comfort zone on a regular enough basis. And because it's tied, like I said, to the things that I'm really excited and passionate about, it feels so easy to me because it just feels like I'm speaking from the heart. And I balance it out, I think, by sort of learning to set boundaries for myself around things that don't really light me up and don't excite me and being able to step away from experiences and saying no more often that don't necessarily connect with those bigger picture purpose pieces, as well as having a lot of opportunity in my day-to-day life. I mean, we are on probably lockdown number 10 here in Canada with everything going on with COVID. And so it's in some way, it's kind of a dream because I get to have these really engaging, meaningful conversations, albeit virtually, I also have a lot of opportunity and space to have real downtime and I give myself permission without guilt just to be able to zone out sometimes whenever it is that I desire and need to. How do you prepare then for coming out of your comfort zone, being in front of people in groups and speaking? What steps do you go through to do that? I mean, I wish I had a really profound thing to say, but there's there's not a lot of like, um, I guess, aha brilliance in this, but there is an element of... Um, creating space uh, before those experiences happen, um, specifically around taking time for even just a quick five minute meditation, um, take my dog around the block for a quick walk, just to be able to kind of center myself in the experience. I'm a very terrible procrastinator, so I'm often doing things at the last minute with respect to actually preparing 
decks and anything else that I'm putting together. Uh, and so I don't recommend that at all because it certainly adds to the anxiety, but it seems to have worked for me for a long time in terms of just being able to trust that it's going to come together. Uh, and I need to get a little bit better at just being a little bit more mindful and prepared and planful, but certainly do start off uh, every day wherever I um, have the capacity and space, even just for quiet reflection. And I often find too, when I um, really need to sort of prepare or get myself mentally in the right space. I often take walks without any distraction. Like I'll have my dog with me and he's a very big distraction because he's so cute and fluffy and everybody wants to stop and, and pet him. Um, but having no music, no podcasts, nothing. And I just try to walk in silence. It makes a significant difference for me to be able to get some movement in and to be able to just, you know, clear my head a little bit, but also to have that quiet reflection time to focus on, what the intentions are going to be for what it is that I'm doing next and trying to hone in on exactly what the messaging needs to be. I like that you talked about purpose because what I've discovered is that passion and purpose tend to come together and tend to be born out of something. The richness you have in your childhood and your, your family history, do you think that's driven you to what you want to do today? 100%. And it's interesting too, because I grew up in a, a family of introverts and I didn't see the strength of it for a very, very long time until I, I read Susan Cain's book a number of years ago and that kind of opened up a really significant aha moment for me around really embracing the strengths that come from being a quieter person and recognizing that my family is all very much the same and it's okay that there's silence sometimes that we sit amongst one another and don't have to fill the air with a lot of conversation. And I think the being a child of immigrants and sort of watching my parents navigate the world from a lens of hard work is going to get you exactly where you need to go. Um, I recognized pretty early on that that was kind of a bit of a mistake and there were really in, not a mistake, I guess they were just more in survival mode when they immigrated to Canada. And so for me, a large, a large part of what I do and why I do it comes from wanting to do better than my parents were able to do because they uprooted their lives um, and moved here from Pakistan without really any family um, connected to them here in Canada. And so I always strive to be able to do something with that so that their sacrifices aren't gone wasted in any capacity. And I also think it's super important for me growing up, I always felt really different. And I felt like this weird, part of my family that didn't quite fit because I had this desire to talk about my experiences, to be really open and vulnerable. And that's not necessarily what you would typically find in a Pakistani household. Um, and so sort of learning to embrace that has been a really big part of my growth journey as well. And recognizing that there's things that I do that are a little bit different that um, may not necessarily align with the sort of structure and a narrow, straight and narrow career path that my parents would have expected me to have. Like my brother is a tax accountant, went down that path, did his business degree, got his accounting designation, but it was really about embracing the things that were different because I recognized as well that I have something to bring to my family and to show and to teach them as well. It's not only teaching and learning from my parents and being able to sort of uphold their legacy and their reasons for why they did the things that they did to just make sure that their sacrifice doesn't go on, doesn't go wasted. So a lot of it comes from wanting to, you know, recognize the strengths that I have that are a little bit different that can add value 
but also knowing that um, I have a bit of a responsibility to do things a little bit better than my parents did. So it's, it's a big part of what drives me overall as a person. As you were talking about that, all I could think of was the word courage, because it's a, such a courageous journey that your family took to uproot themselves and then settle in a new country. There seems to be that that sense of courage that's been then been brought into you. So you're much more courageous in what you want to do. As a child, then growing up in a family of introverts, you talked about being a little bit different and being a bit more vulnerable and speaking. How did you go about that? I think the biggest thing for me was finding expression through writing to start with. Mm. Uh, I've always loved writing. And when I was uh, in in high school, I remember one teacher that said to me, you know, your writing is, is, it's not like always grammatically correct or perfect. And you often sound like you are speaking and that didn't necessarily work super well in that kind of academic environment. And even when I was in grad school, I remember I struggled a lot with, because I had come from a very pragmatic business background and gone into a very philosophically based uh, education uh, master's program. And it really I struggled a lot with finding that sense of who I was and writing in such an academic way because the entire master's program was um, writing based and essays and, you know, exploring from a very social justice lens as well. And that was really different from what I had come from and what I even expected the program to look like. And so it challenged me in so many ways to be able to find my own way to find expression. And I remember when I um, was in my second recruitment job and it was a very structured environment where everybody had a very specific role to play and you kind of couldn't go outside of the box of what was expected of you in terms of the process and how you did things. You could add your own flair into um, your perspective and how you kind of went about uh, delivering that end result, but it was very process driven. And that's where I started to find the desire to want to express myself in other ways outside of work. And that's when I started blogging. And it was really because I saw so many mistakes that people were making in the job searching process. And I thought, you know, I have this ability to be able to sort of, you know, break down people's um, misconceptions and give them advice in a really practical way. So why don't I just kind of combine that and start writing about it? And I think that's where I found my first opportunity to really start weaving in my own personal experiences into the writing and start to kind of infuse some of that vulnerability. And what was amazing to me is it just resonated with people and the conversations that it opened up was amazing. And it was a lot of really in-depth one-on-one connection that came from that. So the power of my own voice started to become a little bit more stronger and for me to be able to see the strength in it and then sharing that out in the world. And I'm always such a proponent of social media for good in the sense that, you know, it connects people like you and I connected through LinkedIn. Um, for that very reason, right? And and so the writing really was the greatest catalyst for me to start to find strength in my own voice and to be able to utilize that to kind of move past some of the things that could maybe would have held me back previously. How does that writing and and that focus and that purpose you have now, finding your voice, then translate into the corporate environment? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I find now I take a lot of my experiences like I did a a pretty big career pivot last May and it was a step back for me in terms of um, title salary a whole bunch of different things because I was really seeking the opportunity to 
get back to a place of really being challenged. And so now I'm in a, a role as an HR business partner in a very heavily unionized environment. And I made the decision last May to take that pivot because I had a very intentional intention around sort of the bigger picture with respect to utilizing the depth of my HR experience to one day be able to teach and to go into the classroom and teach the future of HR. That's my, my big picture dream, my 2020 vision board, which we can all laugh at now because look at what 2020 taught us about, <laughs> about that kind of visioning and planning, but it has that core of it as the anchor of, of teaching in some meaningful capacity. And I realized very quickly on that making that shift and that change and into a function that I should have probably known a little bit about in terms of the HR partnership work, but it's totally blown my mind in terms of the depth of skills and experience that I don't necessarily have. And I'm learning at my age, it feels very um, uncomfortable, more so than it might have been when I was a lot younger. Uh, and to have done this, it's been such a, a sort of, it, it really challenges my ego in every possible way, because I walked away from an organization that I had about six years of great relationships and reputation into a new place. And it's doing everything virtually and relearning everything. And so I start to talk about some of those experiences through my writing and what I put out into the world now. And it seems to um, resonate and it, it's opened up a few opportunities for me at my current job that wouldn't necessarily have been there if I hadn't started to you know, utilize some of those experiences and talk about them in a way that's a little more public because it doesn't necessarily come up in natural conversation with somebody. And what I found is even talking about some of those experiences some of the senior leaders of the organization that I work for now recognize me and who I am before they even, you know, engage one-on-one -on -one or have a reason to connect with me. And it opens up the dialogue a little bit further. My VP of HR is on LinkedIn. And so she's often really supportive of a lot of the things that I put out there. And it's opened up opportunity for me to go further into some of the things that I'm really passionate about and being asked to do some stuff in the diversity inclusion equity work that we're doing at the company that is not actually a part of my core job description. And it's exciting for me because it allows me to open up opportunities to do the work that I'm really, really passionate about with respect to evolving cultures and being a part of the conversations around meaningful change when it comes to some of the work we wanna do around the equity and diversity inclusion space. And that wouldn't have necessarily happened if I hadn't um, put myself out there in that way because I'm not having those natural collisions or opportunities for water cooler conversation in the office right now. And so I find that investing in some of my energy around speaking to those experiences online, not only connects me with the opportunity to do more work that I'm really passionate about in my current job, but also to connect with people uh, in a meaningful way, one-on-one -on -one, that I would never have got the opportunity to engage with. So the work you're doing on that particular project, are you connecting with people one-on-one -on -one or is it group sessions? Yeah. So we've got some upcoming group sessions that I'm going to be facilitating um, with some of our executive team. And so we'll see how it all goes. I mean, it's uncomfortable conversations, I think in some capacity, because it's around diversity and equity and people's lived experiences but it's so meaningful and necessary conversations. And so those are going to be interesting to kind of tap into my own facilitation skills and the ability to talk people through things that may not be necessarily all that comfortable. So how do I 
in a sense, create a safe space for them when they're, you know, potentially putting themselves at risk by talking about things that may have happened or things that the company didn't necessarily do um, to kind of address certain situations. And so it'll be interesting to see how that that um, plays out. So that'll be coming up later this month and um, it'll be exciting for the group facilitation will be interesting, especially in the virtual capacity too. How are you preparing for that? Because someone who's a quieter person naturally, mm-hmm. yeah. what preparation are you doing? I think with this, because sometimes I find in the corporate context, the stakes can be a little bit higher where you can make a mistake, but you don't necessarily want to put yourself in a position where you're not prepared for um, certain curveballs or scenarios that you may not have necessarily expected. And so with this particular situation and with anything that I do, even with interviews that I do and where I'm facilitating the conversation, I just do a lot of research and preparation in advance, um, writing out questions, being prepared to kind of fill the silence with my own perspectives, and then mixing that a little bit with um, a little bit of that passion field perspective and letting some of that naturally um, show up and come out. Because I think uh, if I'm too scripted or too overprepared, it comes across as unnatural. And I want to be able to find a balance between the two, but also knowing that the stakes are a little bit higher when it's a situation where, um, you know, it's in that corporate setting in that context where you have to be a little bit more prepared and not as easily sort of able to um, brush off if you make a mistake. So having a little bit more preparation in terms of the questions and um, maybe thinking through the scenarios around what might come up is going to be really important for me. The difference with you now is night and day from where you were to this much more confident introvert. Do you think that's through experience and understanding who you really are? Yeah, very much so. And I also think there's been a really big shift and a reframe for me around what being an introvert really meant. And I don't even know if I had that language a number of years ago. And growing up, I was often called shy and, you know, I felt very socially awkward and like I was more of that background type of a person. And I really took that on for a very, very long time as a a negative. And to this day, the word shy kind of triggers me a little bit because it's, it always felt like it was um, some, like a put down in a lot of ways growing up. And I never really quite understood the power that was there and just being a bit of a reflector. And I think over the last number of years, um, having had you know, some decent amount of success in my career and sort of seeing that happen through this space of me being my authentic self has really helped for me to recognize the power that is in that and being able to really embrace uh, the introversion because there's so many of us also and there's this kind of superpower in recognizing that you have this ability to, you know, be the person that has a thoughtful thing to say You may not be the most gregarious person in the room or on a meeting, not the one that's taking up all of the conversation, but I feel like there's an element of building a reputation for yourself as an introvert that when you're speaking, you're doing so because you have something to say and it's thoughtful and it's intentional. And that's something I've really just learned to be incredibly proud of in terms of the things that it's opened up and offered to me and being just okay with the fact that I'm not necessarily always going to be the person that's going to be um, recognized first or asked, you know, to do certain things because I'm not the most, like, like I said, gregarious person in the room. But I find that there's so many opportunities that have opened up because I have that 
ability to kind of cultivate that quiet confidence and the thoughtfulness. And that's been a real shift and a game changer for me. It was really around starting off with reframing so much of what uh, quiet really was and how much strength there really is in it. When you were in a room full of potentially gregarious people, because how, how did you manage that yourself then with that, that quiet thinker, but thoughtful and intentional action? Yeah, it's a great question. I still struggle a little bit with those types of environments because I'm such a one-on-one person. And I, I know for a fact that I've been underestimated, um, even in my, my personal life, by people that um, I maybe have met at a party that didn't really think anything of me until they actually had the ability to sit down one-on-one and engage and connect because I'm not that person that naturally navigates through those types of environments and networks and connects. It's just not who I am at all. And I go really deep with people and that's where I get so much joy. And I think in those environments, if I'm, you know, I remember back to my recruiting days, especially when we were recruiting students you'd be in a room of a whole bunch of students that were really eager to connect and engage and chat through opportunities. And it was a little bit easier because it was like, they were coming to me. (laughs) I didn't have to go out of my way to go and make an impression. And I always had such, such empathy for anyone that was navigating that experience that it wasn't natural for them because I know what it feels like when you're trying to get someone's attention when you're representing a brand and employer that is really coveted and you've got people who really want to make an impression. And so always really, I was, you know, especially in those environments when I was, you know, in the person that was kind of in the driver's seat, I always was really thoughtful and mindful of some of the quieter folks and making space for them because I know how difficult it can be to navigate those environments. And I almost as well to this day, I think it's okay. Like I think for a long time, I used to think that you had to be this really like natural networker that could navigate through different environments like that. And I'm like, I think it's actually okay to be that person that goes deep with people one-on-one, you know, finds that one person in the room that you can connect with on, you know, a lot of different levels and kind of investing energy and time into that quality relationship versus a whole bunch of quantity that you may not necessarily get a lot of value from. And I'm also a really big proponent of, you know, if you have the ability to do your research beforehand going into those environments where you know who might be there, who might be speaking, whatever the case may be, then going in with really targeted specific questions for them so that it allows you to be able to open up the dialogue and conversation with folks without feeling like you're having to think on the spot or walk up to a stranger and not know exactly where to start and where to go from there. Um, But I will say, I mean, it's still really uncomfortable for me. It doesn't come naturally at all. I'm a little bit of a wallflower in those kinds of environments. And I'm actually okay with it because I still find that I have so much meaningful connection and it doesn't necessarily have to come from those environments. A lot of it comes um, through social media, um, primarily through LinkedIn. I find so much of value from those types of dialogues. And that's way more valuable to me than having to kind of fake it in those environments where it may not come naturally. I was thinking about energy then, because when you're, uh, you've got lots of students coming to you or people coming to you and you're physically in that room with people, how did you manage your energy? I think it's like preparing myself mentally, knowing that I have to be on for a certain amount of time and then creating space afterwards for being able to just have that downtime and kind of zone out a little bit. Um, I have had that often. It's almost like you're 
building on a sense of adrenaline and you're kind of working off of that. And when you walk away from that, it's like even on the drive home, driving home in silence and just allowing myself to decompress and to reflect and just to kind of let all of that go. Uh, I find that it's okay as long as it's not something that I have to do for an entire day. And if it is being okay with even saying no, if it's like a social event after the fact where I'm not necessarily in an environment around people that I'm comfortable with or that I know that it's okay to say no and to walk away and to just go home and to be able to sit in silence for a little bit and be okay with, with owning that. Right. I think for a long time, I often felt like I had to pretend that I was okay with pushing myself even more beyond that, but recognizing that um, the energy management piece is a really big part of how you thrive and how you succeed. And if you don't kind of master that for yourself, you're just going to pull yourself in a million different directions and then burn out very, very easily. And I'm that person that if I don't get a good night's sleep, I will quickly get sick. Like one or two nights of not great sleep and all of a sudden I have cold symptoms and I'm like, I don't need to put myself through that. I just need to be able to listen to my body and trust that it's okay to be able to actually stop and take time for yourself. So I, I really intentionally um, block that in and, and walk in knowing how much energy I'm going to have to exert and then being okay with stepping away from situations uh, if they no longer serve that, that purpose or, or build me up in that way. Yes, you're absolutely right. So that leads nicely into culture. Um, and obviously this will touch on that future of work um, and particularly HR. How do you find the right culture that or build that right culture that allows quieter people to thrive in that environment? That's a great question. I think there, there's a way that I look at culture when it comes to anything around um, authenticity, really connecting down to those moments that matter for people. So I think about those moments that matter being even when someone is first reading a job description, what is it that resonates with them about the way that a role is written or how a company is spoken about? Mm-hmm. And it moves into every single element of that recruitment process, the onboarding experience. And I always, like, especially now that I'm in a position to really coach leaders around that experience, I always go down to the fact that you just have to get to know the individual and make sure that they really feel seen. And I always say too, it's like changing a job is something that should not necessarily be an easy decision for people. And when they're choosing to come work for you as a leader or into your, into your organization, they're trusting you, right? And there's Mm -hmm. so much you can do in that first moment to really build an experience for that person to feel really seen. So I have this list of questions that I pulled a number of years ago from this woman. I think her name is Gabrielle Garon. She's an HR professional based in Vancouver. And she had this list of questions that really just allow you to go deep as a leader with your new employee around how do you like to communicate? Like, what are some of the things that you need from me to make sure you really thrive around how I show up for you as a leader, um, how I schedule our conversations, uh, different things around what is it that you need from me as a leader to empower you? And I think that's so incredibly important that the leader is the individual that makes or breaks the situation for most people, right? And I often find there's this lack of understanding from a leadership perspective around what an impact that can make. And so just being really thoughtful in some of those experiences when you're setting somebody up 
for success in their first couple of weeks when they're joining the organization or how somebody shows up in that recruitment process as a leader around setting the stage. I always even, whenever I do any sort of recruitment now and I'm engaged in any conversation with a candidate, I love to set the stage just by saying like, you know, you may hear background noise. My dog might decide that he needs to be a security dog today and bark at every single thing that walks by in the background. And I just try to bring a bit of a human lens to the conversation to set the stage that you're talking to a human and not an HR person first. And I think those are those moments that allow you to really shift the experience for someone and allow them to really be fully seen and heard. I infuse a lot of vulnerability into my conversations and connection points. I talk about myself being an introvert quite a lot. Um, When I was a leader in my last organization, I used to uh, create this little slide deck of all of the folks that were on my team and included things about their personality and who they were as human beings outside of work that we would send to anyone new that was joining the team and we would get the same profile back from them that I would share with the team. And it was a great way to be able to uncover some of the things that made somebody unique as a human being, whether they were an introvert or extroverted, or, you know, they would binge watch something on TV, um, Netflix that all of us could relate to. There's always ways to be able to humanize that interaction and those experiences. And I think it's so important that it starts in those first few moments that matter when an individual either is attracted to your organization as they navigate through the recruitment process, and then when they're being onboarded and pre-boarded as well, because there's that gap, right, of time. When somebody signs the offer letter and then they start their first day, it's usually a couple of weeks at minimum. And so there's that period of time when people are anxious and unsure about what comes next. And being able to bridge that gap in a really human way is probably the most important thing to be able to allow someone to really thrive and to know that they have a safe space to be themselves. If you think then on the other side, the candidate coming into your organization, if they are particularly introvert or quieter, what tips would you give them to look for into an organization or ask the right questions? Yeah, it's a great question. I think the thing that I always say is the first thing to look at is, like I said, your leader is the individual that's going to make or break your experience. And oftentimes I think, I always used to tell people at my last organization, it was a very coveted, very popular company. And people would often have rose-colored glasses on when they were interviewing with us because they were so excited about the brand and being able to be a part of it. And they wouldn't necessarily hear the things that I would say to kind of balance out their perspective. And I always tell people too that there's an element of your gut instinct and your innate knowing that you may not necessarily feel like this is the right place or the right fit, the right leader for you. And you have to trust that. And especially as introverts, we kind of have that ability to, to, you know, tap into that quiet reflection and be a little bit more observant of what's going on around us. And the power comes in when we activate that with our, like truly trust that feeling, right? And trust that perspective. And if you're walking into an interview experience and the leader is showing you who they are, like believe that, right? Like what Maya Angelou says is you believe them the first time, right? When they show you who you are, who they are. And that's super important because you're not going to thrive under someone who doesn't take the time and care and attention to really pay attention to who you are. If they are a leader and and they're spending the entire time talking about themselves and not asking you any questions, that's going to be a massive reflection of how they're going to show up with you as a leader um, when you get into the organization. 
And so recognizing that sometimes you don't even have to ask a question to be able to know what you need to know. And then I think it's just really important to put leaders in a position to really be accountable um, in that interview process um, to explain a little bit about what they do to really ensure that people that work with them thrive, that they do well, that they're really seen for who they are. And so what is that leader doing to create that kind of environment for people to really, you know, be able to bring their authentic selves to work? Because I know when I was hiring for my own teams, I would never want to hire people that were just yes people and would tell me what I wanted to hear. And it's uncomfortable because you often find a safe space in finding people that think like you, but that's not where real change actually really happens. And to be able to have a leader that recognizes that and that knows themselves well enough to be able to create spaces where you can be safe and where you can thrive is so incredibly important. It's it's easier said than done too, right? Because sometimes there are other things. It's not all like based on your your needs in terms of the things in the environment that you require. Sometimes it is just a financially driven decision and there's things that you have to think about uh, in terms of survival mode and whatever else you have family to feed. All of those things really play a big part. But I think the further you get along in your career, the more choice you have because you're a little bit more discerning as well about what works and what doesn't work. And just knowing that you can trust your gut in those experiences and know if a leader is really going to be that type of person for you. Um, it's really important and to be able to ask those questions about what that leader has done, because if they can't answer those in that kind of context, then they've probably never put a lot of thought into it. I think you're right, because uh, when you said earlier, you know, it's about that experience and you've learned about yourself, you've leaned to, you've created your brand and you've learned how to use your voice, that you would have been more confident in who you are in your inner self mm -hmm. and then you also can understand what what are you going to be your compromises because it might be financially I have to take that job or actually I don't need to but I understand what my compromises are going to be mm -hmm. exactly mm -hmm. if I had learned that lesson a long time ago I would have been <laughs> in a different position but I also I speak truly from experience of navigating mm -hmm. those environments where yeah. I was drawn into something because it it felt exciting and cool, or there was a brand name that I got to work for that felt really, you know, enticing to me, but yet wasn't actually a really natural fit or the right environment. And the older I get and the more experience I have around these things, it's easier to to speak to that from that lens of having made the mistake, right? The beauty of that is you you do develop that richness of knowledge and mm -hmm. it's made you who you are today and mm -hmm, exactly. probably and potentially with a clear intention and you know almost like a bigger purpose for that yeah exactly you've shared so many tips today what would be your top three it's a good question I think first starting out by reframing things for yourself around what it means to be an introvert and really embracing the strength and the power that is there uh, innately as an introvert uh, recognizing that there's so much space for you in the world, in the corporate world, in any environments that you're navigating through as a leader, there's something you need to really be able to celebrate about that because um, it's just an amazing quality that allows you to navigate the world in a way that's thoughtful and reflective and self-aware, which is something that I think a lot of people miss. Uh, in my experience. And it's a really, really important quality to be able to own 
and to reframe that for yourself is really important. Secondly, I think it's really important to advocate for yourself and be able to ask for what it is that you need to be able to thrive and be okay with even setting some things for yourself. Like you said, like blocking off time in your calendar, being okay with setting some of those boundaries for yourself around what it is that you really need to be able to show up in your best possible way. And sometimes it is about creating that space uh, outside of those environments as well. Like I find lately getting up really early in the morning to have even 30 minutes to just be able to drink my coffee, to be able to just set intentions for the day and just have that quiet moment of just being able to go in my head and just calm my anxiety and just be able to start the day in the right way is really important. And that is outside of the context of my day-to-day work. Um, setting aside a little bit of that space and time for that is is just incredibly important to be able to build that sense of confidence to then advocate for the things that I need. And then also creating those opportunities for yourself where you can be your best self and not being afraid to manage your energy uh, in a way that allows you to really thrive. Fabulous tips. Thank you so much for talking with me again today. Talk for ages on this topic. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you. Appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure, Juliet. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening. I love to talk and work with people and businesses who want to achieve more. I challenge their thoughts to create possibility. Anyone can be part of the conversation. Leave me a message, ask a question and connect with me.